Amen. You know, I, I, <laughs> we're in this season of, of talking about the anniversary of our church, and it's something to celebrate because 31 years ago, God began a small work that is becoming a big work. And, you know, when, when God planted our church 31 years ago, he had you in his heart. He had you in mind. And that's important to understand. It's important to know that 31 years ago, God found a way to reach you and to bring you into the kingdom of God. And that was through the church he was planting then. Amen. And I want to talk to you today about something that is near and dear to my heart. Near and dear to my heart. And, and you know, I, I do, I, I go, I make a lot of trips nowadays in, in terms of to stores. You know, when you have kids, you make extra trips for a lot of stuff. You forget wipes or you need more diapers, need some butt cream, whatever it is these days, who knows. And, you know, sometimes the closest place to go is, is Walmart. Wally World, <laughs> praise God. And, and I got a problem that sometimes, okay, when I wake up in the morning, and, and, and let me tell you, I, I'm not a fashionista. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I dress great, anything like that. I know my Converse are cool. That's about it. But, you know, I wake up in the morning, and I say to myself, what am I going to wear? And in my head, I piece together an outfit. Maybe women, it doesn't work like this for you. You piece together 72 outfits. So maybe this is for the men. And I, I, my goal is, is at the end of it, I know how I want to feel when I walk out the house. I know what I want to wear. I just know. And so I then set out to accomplish that. And it seems like sometimes in Bridgeport, a lot of people don't care what they look like when they go out. They don't have much what I would call vision for their lives. Amen. And I, you go certain places and you're like, just, what, what? What? Wow. And I think about this all the time because I'm a thinker. I think about everything, and I think about anything. I mean, I, I was taking this, I told you uh, some months ago, I was taking this test in school uh, last year, and, and they, they were trying to tell me what my strengths were. It was a strengths finder test, and you had to answer hundreds of questions, and one of the questions, or rather, one of the strengths that I had were that I like to think. I didn't know that was a strength. And I remember when I was just a little boy, and I'm still little, but I'm not a boy. <laughs> I remember, you guys laughed too much for that. I remember one day, because I didn't get out the house much, my mom let me walk to the A&G market, which is in the corner of Howard Ave in Maplewood. And, and I went over there, and I bought some, some 25-cent chips. That was before Jamie raised the price, amen. He works for Frito-Lay, blame him. So they had the 25-cent bag of chips, and they had the penny candies, now they're all nickel candies. Selfish people, praise God. So I went and got a bunch of stuff, and I, I said to myself, I don't want to take, I don't, I don't want to take the regular way home. And so I took the long way, and really the long way is just I just walked the extra block. It wasn't really a long way. But I was being adventurous because I knew that if my mom found out, she would have beat me down. And so I took the long way, and I remember distinctly crossing Howard onto Beechwood. And as I began to cross onto Howard and Beechwood, the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. And I was probably 14 years old, 15 years old at best. 
And I, at that point in time, had just come back from youth camp. And what youth camp was, was every year our church would send our children down south to a, a big, big, big ministry. And we would, you know, receive from the Lord for a week. We would hear from God and we would, we would get in his presence. We would seek him. We would get saved every year. Praise God. And we would come back on fire for God. But I remember distinctly this time when I came back, that when I crossed onto that street, the Lord gave me a vision. And it was a vision of hundreds and thousands eventually of young adults worshiping God. And I thought to myself, I said, man, how powerful would it be if everything I experience every year down south, God would do right here in our own area? Because there was nothing like it. I mean, nothing. You would see hundreds, if not thousands of kids coming to these camps, worshiping God. It was powerful from all across the country, from all racial backgrounds, black, white, oriental, Germans, British people, people from Africa. It was amazing. And as I began to cross the street, the Lord began to really give me a vision of this happening in Bridgeport. And it was at that moment God sowed into my heart what I now can say is the vision of our church, which is to create the largest soul-saving effort that Bridgeport has ever seen. This is, let me tell you something, this is exactly why we exist. Every morning I wake up and when I hit the office, I have to ask myself, Lewis, is what you are doing in line with the vision God has placed in your heart? Is the course of your life headed in the direction of the vision? And here's the thing about vision, and some of you may have small visions for your life, big visions. I am a person who dreams big. And I think that I dream big because I was always so little. And I, I got to stop making little jokes. You guys love those. And my thing was, I, I always wanted to dream big. I was always the guy who, who wanted to not just take down that wall. Let's take down every wall. You know, let, let's not just, you know, let's just do it all the way. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. And do it right means completely overboard. And, and Alex, you know, my admin, he had a joke at some point when I would call him up. Hey, I need something. He would say, I cannot get you a Black Hawk helicopter. Because I would always try some big, stupid, crazy idea. But I knew that God was pushing me into a direction. And I want to talk to you today about vision. Just about vision. I don't even want to preach to you. I want to talk to you because some of you may have vision for your life but not know how to get to where God has called you. And we've been in this generation where people think that vision comes to us. Vision just doesn't come. This stuff just doesn't happen. You don't just end up with a church of hundreds. You don't just end up at the climb by accident. You've got to take steps in the vision, in the process, and follow God. You got to go beyond the place where you just want for your life. You have to get past, I'm going to say it, get past that mentality that somebody owes you something and act like nobody owes you nothing and begin to pursue God and watch God do the rest. Watch God do the rest. And so I want to talk to you today on a, on a double focus. And the, and, the, and the double focus is this. I want to talk to you about the vision of our church. Most of you here are members of our church. If you call yourself a member, are you aligned with the vision of the church? 
Are you aligned with the fact that we are creating the largest soul-saving effort? Are you caring about people? Are you loving God's lost children? Are you loving people? And then secondly, do you have vision for your life? Where is God calling you individually to help the body corporately? Where is God drawing you in? God started with me as a person who was playing music at 11 years old, doing exactly what Stephen's doing now. I was leading the worship team. 11 years old, God began to work in me. And over the years, God began to call me to different places. And every time God called me, I had to go. What is God trying to start in your life that could end in something big? Vision. If you're wondering what vision is by definition in terms of what we're talking about today, I'm not talking about prophecy and all that name it, blame it stuff. I'm talking about, here's what vision is. Vision is a picture of a promised future. Vision is a picture of a promised future. It is the picture that God places in our hearts and says, this is what I'm going to do with you. It may not be overnight, but I'm going to do it with you if you follow me. And we see that in Scripture in one of the greatest visions that God ever gave a man, and his name is Abram. Many of you might know him as Abraham. He would be renamed by God over the course of his life. And we know him as the father of what? Faith. He's the father of faith. And we call him the father of faith because God showed him a mighty, somebody say vision, for his life. God showed him a mighty vision for his life. And you have to understand, and we'll talk about it today, the place that Abram or Abraham was at during the course of his life for God to be able to call him, for God to be able to speak to him. And we read it right here in Genesis, the 12th chapter, the first verse. And this is the call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Come on, let's bow our heads all across this place, front to back, as we just go before the Lord in prayer. And Lord, we know that you've been here even in our worship, for your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. Your word says we're two or three are gathered in your name, that you would be in the midst of us, God. And Lord, maybe there's some here today who have no idea why they're here. Maybe they came on a whim. Maybe they came on an invitation. But Father, I pray to you right now that you would begin to speak to each and every heart. That you would fully take over in this, night, in this moment, rather. That you would have total control. Because only you are worthy to speak to your children. So Father, use me as your vessel. I surrender my mouth and my lips, Father God. That you would have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we see this random guy named Abram whose father is Terah. And the Bible distinctly tells us that Terah and Abram and, and their brothers are, are from a, a place called Ur of the Chaldees. 
And Ur of the Chaldees is, is commonly thought to be the place of Babylon, maybe in the Iraq area. And this place was a place of deep idol worship. There is no evidence in Scripture that up until now, Abram has ever encountered Jehovah. There is no evidence in Scripture that he has ever had any interaction with the Spirit of the living God. There is none. And so Abram is steeped neck deep in idol worship. They would worship dozens and hundreds of different gods, the sun god, the moon god, the god of this tree, the god of this piece of grass. And they would have all types of gods they would worship, and they were false gods. And we see this, that Joshua, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 24, he declares to us that Abram and Terah worshipped idols. Worship false gods. And one day, this man who knew not God hears the voice of God. Understand this. Now, he's about to enter into a place in his life where he worships one God, where everyone around him worships hundreds, if not dozens, of gods. This is called being monotheistic, serving a singular God. He's about to abandon everything he knows. He's about to abandon everything in his father's house because he heard a convincing voice of the Lord God who said, Abram, I'm calling you to leave your father's house. Leave everything you know. Leave your family. Go to a place that I will show you. And why? Why did Abram do it? He did it because of the picture that God gave him. Here's the picture. And I will make you a great nation. So God begins to give him a vision, a picture of a promised future. Now let me tell you something. I don't care how long you live according to biblical standards. You are not going to see a nation come to fruition even in three generations. So God is giving Abram long-term vision as to what he is, rather, as to what his offspring will see. He's giving him a long-term picture and he's giving it to him right now. He says, Abram, if you go, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And that may not be good to you, but you have to understand that in these days, to have a great name was everything. That was goals. Great name, goals. It wasn't just to be rich. It was to have a good name. To have a name that people respected, a name that struck fear in the hearts of those who were your enemies, a name that was powerful, that by your name people would do things simply because who you were. And God says to Abram, I will make your, and the whole church says, name, great. I'll make your name great. And then he goes a step further. And then I will bless you. You will be a blessing to all. I'll bless those that curse you. I will, rather, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And then he says, and all the nations of the world will be blessed by you. All the people of the earth. One translation says, all the families of the earth will be blessed by you. Now, I don't know about you. That is a big vision. A big Epic vision, one of the greatest visions. Now hear me out. The rest of the Bible is the unfolding of this vision. The rest of scriptural text is the unfolding of, for in this vision is the promise of Jesus Christ. 
In this vision is the promise of salvation. In this vision is the promise of God redeeming mankind when he says, and all the families of the earth will be blessed by you. Now, if I told you, hey, hey, I I want you to come to my house because tomorrow I am giving away $1,000 to every person that comes to my house. You heard what time? Somebody shouts out what time. So short jokes and money jokes. Okay, I got it. If I were to give you $1,000 to every person who came to my house, man, let me tell you something. You would begin to have great expectation. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll change the analogy because it's getting expensive for me real quick. Maybe you, your favorite movie is coming out. Maybe you're excited about this movie that's coming out, and it builds up a great expectation for you. Here's point number one. Epic vision causes expectation but requires participation. It doesn't matter the vision God places into your heart. It doesn't matter the vision God puts before your eyes. It does not matter the vision that God gave me on the corner of Howard and Beechwood. If I would not begin to take steps to walk out the vision of God, if I would not participate in the vision, then the vision is useless. Two things here. If Abram did not participate, God's promise, useless. And if you don't participate in our vision, God's promise, useless. Epic vision causes expectation. That's point number one. But it requires participation. Because participation in the work of God means that we become a part of the greater body of Christ. I heard a pastor say yesterday something really cool. There are no other churches. There are other families. We're all one body. We're all connected. We're all one in this thing. We're all in this together. We are creating the largest soul-saving effort. We need to participate in the work of God. And so what does God say to Abram? He says, Abram, I need you to leave your father's house. Go to a place I will show you. I need you to trust me. I need you to follow me. I need you to go. I need you to participate in this vision. Don't just sit there and be like, oh my God. Oh my, see, most of you are thinking to yourself, $1,000 per person? This is great. This is amazing. And then you're going to text me tomorrow, Pastor, I can't get out of work on time. Can you come to my job and give me $1,000? Could you put it in the mail for me? I'm sending my cousin. Does that count? I'm sending my brother because oftentimes expectation doesn't end up turning into participation. That's why I can get up here and and, and say things that God has placed on my heart and they can excite you. Oh my, that's great. We're going to be a big, large, soul-saving church and we're going to change lives and people are going to be baptized. We're going to have really good services and great worship. It's going to be so amazing and I'm just going to sit here in my chair and wait for it all to happen and do nothing. What are you doing to participate in the things God has sown into your heart? Maybe God has given you a vision for your family. You can't can't just sit there and think that it's going to happen through osmosis. If God's given you a picture of financial freedom, then begin to participate with your budget. If God's given you a a, a vision for your life of home ownership, then begin to, to save money for home ownership. If you think that God is is giving you a vision that you're going to do great work for him in the kingdom of God, then begin to educate yourself in the word of God. 
But we want to expect from God, but not participate from God. And God calls Abram, and he says, Abram, I need you to leave dad's house. I need you to leave your family. In other words, I need you to leave this place of idol worship. (laughs) Abraham had idol worship, meaning idolatry, but some of us have idol worship, meaning that we just worship and nothing else. So Abraham dealt with idolatry, idol worship, and we deal with idol worship where we just worship and don't participate in nothing else. And then you have to realize, is worship about God or is worship about me? You ever heard somebody say, I just need to get before God's presence and worship? Okay, that does, I mean, that's great. Do it. God wants worship, but worship's for God, not for us. Worship's about the Lord and his glory being extolled and being sung about and being given out and just being lifted up on the earth. And God is telling Abram, Abram, I need you to leave everything. I need you to leave all these idols behind. Worshiping these gods will get you nowhere. But worshiping me, if you will go to a place, I will show you. Epic vision requires that big, bold faith we talked about in week one. It requires great faith that you would be able to see God move in your life. And some of you are waiting for vision to drive you. Well, I I just don't feel it. Vision doesn't drive you. It draws you. Vision doesn't drive you. It draws you in. And so so if, if I'm standing, I was here at my life, and the Lord showed me a picture over there of my life, and it drew me in. I'm like, wow, God. I'll walk to that, God. I, I might go through obstacles and hard times, but there's a vision that God has given me and I'm going to walk to the vision. It doesn't drive me. God's not, he's he's a gentleman. He's not going to push you to it. He's going to draw you in, draw you in that you might participate. He said, Abram, leave your dad's house. He did not say, Abram, I'm coming tomorrow with my chariot to pick you up because we are out. He said, Abram, I need you to take a step of faith. I need you to move forward. I need you to leave dad's house. I need you to leave Haran. I need you to leave all this idol worship behind. And I need you to follow me. I need you to follow me. Because vision doesn't drive you. It draws you. It draws you because vision is so deep in your heart that if, if it can't be pulled out of you. Have you ever had something just gnawing at your heart for years that God is trying to get you to do and you just don't know how to do it and then finally one time you get an expression of, of God's spirit in ministry to be able to do the thing that God has placed on your heart and you're like, oh, that's what God meant all along. And some are like, no, I haven't had that. And the reason is because maybe you are just idle. Vision, great vision. Great vision requires great participation. The thing most that God called Abram to do was two things. It's, it's, it's bifold. The first one is to follow him, and the second one is to trust him. To trust God that this vision is not just an idea in your own big head, but it is God's promise. Could you imagine this conversation that Abram had with Sarai? His wife, hey, Sarai, yes, Abram? Um, Yahweh just told, wait, who's Yahweh? Oh, that's God. I thought we served, this, no, I'm talk, this is Yahweh. I had a vision, and he told me to leave everything. And she's probably like, good, because I can't stand your cousins, but wait, I like your aunts. 
But could you imagine the conversation? Oh, we're finding this new God, and this new God is commanding us to leave everything we know to go to something that is, is full of other people that God promised us this land, and, and he's going to make me a great nation, and all these things. And it's just like, oh, my God, are you serious? But it causes you to trust God. This is henceforth why we call him the father of faith. It wasn't because he was perfect. It wasn't because he never doubted. It was because his faith persisted even past his doubts. His faith persisted beyond doubts, beyond hurts, beyond pains. His faith persisted in church. We have a big, giant, robust vision for our city, for our state, for our area. And we also have to have that participation that says, man, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to trust God lest all we do be in vain. That we say, God, I want to participate. Great vision calls for participation. And sometimes the vision is so great it seems daunting. Sometimes we don't know how it's going to happen, and that's okay. Because God will make it happen. God has given our church a big vision, and that big vision, as I told you, will take great faith. And listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Abram had to find out that although it seemed ridiculously foolish to walk out on this step of faith, because here's the fact of the matter, his wife could not have children. How could God make me a great nation if my wife cannot have children? Abram was 75 years old when he encounters God, and he's like, I can't even have kids. My body, the Bible says his body was as good as dead. And God is making this promise of a great nation. But God was calling Abram to leave his comfort zone and to participate in the vision that God had given him. A picture of a promised future. Listen to verse 2. And I will make your name, or I, rather, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the whole church said, Amen. Have you ever felt like God's vision is so great that you can't make it happen? And most of the time, great vision is not for you to make it happen. Here's point number two. Great vision rests on God's I wills, not my I musts. Listen to the text. Just listen to the text. He says, I will make you a great nation. Abram, you didn't even got to do anything. I'll do it. I'll make your nation great. I will make your name great. You don't got to do it, Abram. I will do it. And oftentimes, when you feel this great vision, you feel as if I have to do so much when God is saying, if you would just begin to follow me and do what you're already doing, I will make it happen. I will do it. Let me tell you something. Abram and his wife, they were probably still getting intimate. And God says, do what you're doing. Although your body is as good as dead in terms of bringing forth seed, I will still make it happen. I will still get her pregnant through you. I will still work a miracle through you. I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those. You don't have to curse people who curse you. You don't got to bless those who bless you. God will do it for you. It's oftentimes you get intimidated by the greatness of the call on your life because you feel as if you got to make it happen. It's not the I wills, or rather it's not the I must, it is the I wills of God that you should lean on. Because the Bible tells us clearly that you should trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. But honor him 
in all your ways, and he will make straight your paths. But oftentimes we get so caught up in, well, this is a great vision, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, you have to trust God through it. And what happens if you don't trust God? What happens if you don't trust God? Ask Abram, because then he didn't trust God, and his wife said to him, well, maybe the promise is not supposed to come through me. Why don't you sleep with my slave girl, and her name is Hagar? And, 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 and Abram's the guy. He's like, my wife is telling me to sleep with my... Okay, no problem. I'll take one for the team. This is... You know, I don't want to do this, but I will do it. And he has a son whose name is Ishmael. And Ishmael grew, the Bible says, and, and God came to Abram at a point in his life. And he says, Abram, Ishmael is not the promise that I've given you. And, and Abram is shocked. And he says, I will, I will yet give you a son through your wife. And here's the problem. When you get into the mode of I must as opposed to God's I wills and he's going to take care of it and he's going to do it, you might give birth to an Ishmael while waiting for an Isaac. And then, and then, if you read Scripture, the Bible says that Ishmael began to, to bully and to, and to just be mean to Isaac when Isaac was born. And then you spend the rest of your life dealing with your failures, mocking your promises. You deal with the rest of your life with, 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 with regret in your heart and in your mind. And you can't, and you're like, God, why am I having all this conflict in my household? And God's like, well, Ishmael is bothering Isaac. Kick him out. Because you can't let failure mock the promise. Vision. You might fail a thousand times before you get it right. But the promise will come. Great vision does not rest on your shoulders. If God has given you a plan for your life, I challenge you. Begin to trust God. Ask him for direction. He gave Abram explicit direction. Leave this, go here, do this, do that. Ask God for direction. Don't make your own decisions. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How should I get to the end that you have shown me? And then God, when I get there, how do I make sure that I don't give birth to an Ishmael as opposed to an Isaac that you've promised me? Release the burden that you have to perform and understand that God will. The battle is the Lord's. And here's the thing about our church vision. And nobody here has the power to save a soul. Not one, not myself, none of us. You have not the power, yet our vision is this, to create the largest soul-saving effort Bridgeport has ever seen. The only thing that is your responsibility and my responsibility is this. It is this. It is the effort. God saves the soul. We just make appointments for God to reach people. We just facilitate where people can come and receive Jesus Christ. Whether that be here, Howard Avenue, on the street, whether it's you, greet, you meet somebody on Facebook, however it may be that you lead a soul to encounter God. But nobody can save a soul. The vision of our church does not rest on us, but we still participate with it. Amen. I can't save souls. Only Jesus can. Great vision calls for us, church. It calls for us to lean on God and not our own strength. If you lean on your own strength, you will fail time and time again for great faith. As I've told you a couple of times, great faith, having great faith is the promise of God that he is stretching you but won't break you. 
And he's pressing you and pushing you, but he will not break you. And sometimes we spend our life in church. We spend our life being saved. We know the word. We know this and we know that. But we never put it to use. We never trust God with using our gifts, our talents, our anointing for the Lord. Are you with me today, church? Great vision. Epic vision. 31 years ago, we had a vision. 31 years ago, God began to formulate this. 31 years ago, God began to plot on this. 31 years ago, God began to do it and start the work that we see now. And it is so easy to take for granted what we see now. But nobody knows what we have been through to get here half the time. So you can't, we got a lot of people who will be covetous of our destination and our journey, but you don't know the price we paid to get here. You've got to give God praise for the place you are at in your life that he's carried you to. Likewise, as a church, we got to give God praise that although we are not yet at the promise, we have not reached it, we have not got to the fulfillment of it yet, but many years ago he began to promise just to my father and to my mother and to the church back then. And we went through hell and high water, but yet we're standing because we know that the promise is generational. That the promise of God flows from generation to generation to generation. And now we're all a part of this great promise of creating this soul-saving effort that when we get to heaven, oh, you were a part of that church in that Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you guys were saving souls like crazy. And every time someone came to heaven, where are you from, Bridgeport? There's like a whole section in heaven just for Bridgeport. And somebody's like, well, that's not biblical. Just leave me alone. Let me have fun dreaming for God. There's going to be a a little bridge port in the corner by the Crystal Sea. Praise God. Not going to be Seaside Park. going to be Jesus Side Park. Amen. (laughs) Great vision requires that you don't trust in your own strength, but that you trust in God. If you lose sight of Isaac, you might give birth to Ishmael. Father, I pray that our church never loses sight of souls. I pray that our church never loses sight of saving lost people. I pray that our church never loses sight of the Great Commission. I pray that we never lose sight. I pray, God, that we always move forward and actually care about the hurting. And the Lord, I pray that we never get obnoxiously just stubborn and and that we get stiff-necked, as your word says, and that we think we've arrived and that we think we are it. But, God, that we would forever remain humble. Lord, that we would forever remain broken before you, that the lost can come and see familiarity. Can I tell you that oftentimes the reason the lost don't come to church is because they think there is such a high standard. But if they only knew how broken we were when we came, if they only knew how broken we were when we came, if they only knew the addictions that were in our lives, if they only knew, Lord, I pray that we never lose focus of the vision, that, Lord, we are here to create a soul-saving effort, that this soul-saving effort would reach so many lives, God, that it would change the landscape of our city that we would not lose focus of Isaac, God. i got to be honest, there's a lot of Ishmael churches around. There's a lot of them. People didn't want to wait on God. On, gonna do what I want to do. Lord, I want to be an Isaac. I want to be from the place of promise, not the place of impatience. 
Here's point number three, really simple, because Stephen's playing and it sounds great, amen. Here's point number three. There will always be opposition to great vision. There will always be great opposition to great vision. I've experienced this in my own life, but yet we would see throughout Scripture that Abraham would see that there was going to be great opposition. The first opposition he had was what I told you earlier, his poor wife Sarai, who would then be named Sarah. Sarah could not have children, but yet she was supposed to birth a great nation. And then, and then he only gets one son. You think that God would put about 12 sons in the litter, amen, like a puppy, just 12. And you would see a miracle in Scripture. And God gave Sarah 12 sons in one birth. But God, God's not into that. God's into just pulling a whole nation out of one. Because God needs one promise to fulfill, to bless all. And Isaac comes along. And, and Isaac, Isaac is, the, is the son of Abram, Abraham now. And by the time he's born, and, and Isaac is the child of promise. But yet the Bible says that God told Abram or Abraham that his 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 descendants would be slaves for 400 years in Egypt. There was always opposition to great vision. And then they would leave Egypt and they would, they would be stubborn and rebellious and due to their own sin, they, they wouldn't fulfill the vision even then. They would be lost in the wilderness 40 years. And all throughout the history of Israel, they would be in and out of God's will because they were impatient and then serving idols and serving God and serving this person and serving that God. And they were serving Baal and serving Molech and serving this God. And, and they would be captured by the Assyrians. They would be captured by the Babylonians. They would be captured by the Persians. They would be wasted away, taken out of their homeland. They would be just devastated. Then they would be taken over by the Greeks, then taken over by the Romans. And, and by the time Jesus comes, they've been, they've been slaves and, and they've been captured by so many kingdoms that Israel as a nation no longer exists because there was always opposition to vision. And the moment God made a promise, Satan sent an enemy. The moment God made the promise to Abram, Satan came against him. Because one thing Satan hates, he hates promise walkers. He hates vision-oriented, spirit-led people. And Israel would go throughout all this opposition in their history. And 4,000 years of opposition would culminate in a moment of promise because the main promise that we see is not just the great nation. It is not the great name. It is not the blessing of fame and riches. It is the blessing that he will bless all the nations. And 4,000 years later, 4,000, he didn't see it, but he had faith. Because great vision takes great faith. Isaac didn't see it, but he had great faith. Jacob didn't see it, but he had great faith. Joseph didn't see it, but he had great faith. Moses didn't see it all, but he had faith. And Joshua and Caleb had faith, but they never saw the completion of all the promise of God. And all throughout Judges, and you see Samuel and David and Solomon and all the good godly kings, they had faith in the promise, but they didn't see it all. Until one day in a small town of Judea called Bethlehem, a child was born unto us, and his name would be called Yeshua, Jesus. And he was the promise to Abram that God had spoken over 4,000 years earlier. Because great vision takes time. 
Because, because here's the thing. God is not a short-sighted God. He's a God of longevity. And so every promise that God speaks to me, I speak to my daughters. And every promise that God conveys unto me, it transfers down to my children and the son that God will give me. Amen. Praise God, honey. I love you. She's like, God hasn't given me this vision, honey. And Jesus would come and he'd be the son of God wrapped in flesh. God himself laid aside his majesty, as the song would say, that he would die for you and me. He would give everything. And then he would die on a cross after walking 33 years on this earth. He would die on a cross on a hill called Golgotha. And why did he die? The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin because Jesus was perfect. He made him who knew no sin to become our sins. My God. And he laid down his life in order to fulfill a promise that was made back in Genesis 12 that all the families of the earth could be blessed by the seed of Abram. It took 4,000 years. There's always opposition to great vision. Our church itself, we're not a... We're not strangers to opposition. We're not strangers to to losing buildings. We're not strangers to having problems with the BOE and the other building we were in. And and we were not strangers to having to be nomadic even now. We're not strangers to hard work setting up church. And the whole church said amen. We're not strangers to hardship. We're not strangers to, to having problems in ministry. But yet we know the greater the opposition is because the vision is great. And the greater the vision, the greater the enemy tries to come and brings division. Tries to split people's minds and tries to to bring all types of problems into ministries. But God is a God who keeps his promise. He's the real promise keeper. He's a promise keeping God. And he's a God who gives us vision beyond our ability to see it fulfilled. For Abram had to trust God that he would make him a great nation. Notice this. Most of the promises that God gave him, with exception to Isaac, Abram would not see. Because he would not see even to this day how great his name has become. He would not see all the nations of the earth blessed by him. He would not see that every country that follows and protects and and befriends Israel is a country flung with blessing. He would not see that God is blessing those who bless them and cursing those who curse them. He would not see it. But he believed it. And maybe God has given you a vision in your life. Maybe God has given you a call, a purpose in your life. And it's time for you to begin to follow God. As Abram said, I'm going to leave everything that I know in order to go to the place that the Lord is beckoning and calling me. And maybe for some of you that is just the first step is receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe some of you are on your second step. It's moving from just being idle in in the church and becoming a functioning part of the body. It's like, I want to be a vision carrier. I want to be a person who carries the vision of the church. I don't just want to think about soul saving. I want to be a part of soul saving. What has God called you to? 
I know one thing, that the promises that God made me when I was just 13 or 14 years old, they're coming true even now. And as we pursue the Lord, as we follow God, we will see more and more souls saved. And we will see more and more coming to Christ. And if you would follow and if you would pursue God, you'll see it in your own life. You'll see the promises that he gave you come to fruition. You'll begin to see all the things that God promised you. And then you would know that God is true and every man is a liar. You would know the goodness of the Lord. You would know that he is not a God, that he would lie to you. But he is a God who keeps his word. And maybe sometimes we don't like the way God keeps his word, but God will keep his word. He is a promise-keeping God. And here's my favorite verse in this entire story. Just two words. Verse 4, two words. Maybe I'll throw a third word in there. Amen. It says, and Abram went. What? Why would you leave everything for a promise you could not see? Why would you? God is calling some of you to leave your whole life of sin to a promise that you can't even see. God's calling you to leave all the things of the world to come to the cross. And Abram went. In a moment, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to have your and Abram went moment that today that in heaven they would have that 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 said that saying but yet about you that today today Michelle went or Michael went today you went before the Lord and here's the amazing thing about God many will come with a different de destinations God is calling you to different things maybe your walk is different than the person next to you maybe your your went is you're gonna go to salvation Maybe yours is you're going to go to complete surrender in God. Where is God beckoning you? And where is God calling you? For he has not birthed you and purposed you for nothing, but he has designed you for a specific thing. A specific thing. God does not make accidents. God does not make mistakes. You are something special in the eyes of God, and he is the author of your story, and he is the finisher of your story. That's him. That's the God you serve. Would you stand to your feet this early afternoon? Come on, with your head bowed, as the prayer team makes their way up. I don't know what the Lord is spurring in your heart, Come on, just bow your heads right now. But I know the Holy Spirit has told me, number one, the vision is coming to fruition through the participation of the church. We're leaning on God's I wills. We're believing even through opposition that fruition will come. But maybe there's some here today, you don't even know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you don't even know the Lord today. But as scripture says, today is a day of salvation, church. Today is a day. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Don't care about nobody around you. Don't worry about who you came with. 